In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out. Stand up on your feet! jumped up and began to walk. <laughs> when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, are only men. Human like you. We are bringing you good news. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth And see and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven <laughs> and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. <laughs> Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them.
Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. him outside the city thinking he was dead. gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Welcome to Acts. <laughs> Our verse-by-verse -verse journey through what has been called the fifth gospel, the story of the first church and churches that came into existence through the ministry of Jesus, continuing the assignment that he gave to them, looking for things for us to learn from, as well as be encouraged by. So today, what you've witnessed was in the 14th chapter of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, two missionaries who had been sent from a church in Antioch of Syria, had sailed to Cyprus, an island about the size of Arkansas, and ministered there. And then they sailed to what is now the southern coast of Turkey and journeyed up into the region known as Galatia, the same region where Paul wrote a letter to the churches that are there. And so this is the story of how those churches started. They went to Antioch, ministered there till they got ran out of town, went to Iconium, ministered there for a while, and then went to Lystra where a mighty miracle happened and the pagan religion wanted to capitalize on the event and turn it into a pagan festival, worshiping them as Zeus and Mercury, uh, Zeus and Hermes or Jupiter and Mercury. And um, Paul and Barnabas put a stop to it. So you witnessed a dramatic reenactment of that story. And we'll pick up in verse 19. So when they saw that they weren't gods, including the religious Jews from the previous towns where they had ministered, come to town, the crowds turned against them, and they stoned them. And uh, here's what happened, verse 19 of Acts 14. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium, that is in that part of the world in Galatia, came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing to be dead. So they tried to kill him. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So he went back to the city so that they could see he was still alive, back into Lystra, and then the next day he got out of town. And when they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, that is in Derbe, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So here's what they did. The red thread was their journey from Antioch of Syria to Cyprus to the southern coast of what we now call Turkey up into the region of Galatia to a town called Antioch and then Iconium and then Lystra where the stoning happened and then Derbe. And now they're doubling back, going to everywhere they've been 
strengthening the disciples that they made and establishing congregations. So they're exhorting them and, and telling them that they must continue the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church, that is in each of these communities, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had come from, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, this is their home church, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Can you say the word rest? Chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem, it's higher in elevation, to the apostles and elders about this question. So this was bad news. This was like, this is kind of like the, the churches I, I grew up in. Uh, it's easy to get saved, and then once you're saved, then they tell you, oh, and you got to do all this other stuff if you want to be saved. And by the way, you're not really saved till the rapture takes place. So they just keep moving the carrot. So now, here these people are coming along with bad news. Yeah, you're saved, but men, you've got to have some serious surgery. When a grown man has a circumcision, it takes about three weeks to recover. So this is really bad news. Paul and Barnabas are ticked because they preach the grace of God. They preach that Jesus is able to justify sinners from things of which the law could never justify them. So they went to their home church in Jerusalem where these guys had come from to deal with the issue. It wasn't because the Pope was there. It was because this was the source of the problem. And it was also, it was the original church, so it was a church of influence. So, verse 3, being sent on their way to the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. It's a 400-mile trek. Describing the conversion of the Gentiles, telling them about their mission trip that lasted several years. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. So everybody's excited about Gentiles coming to faith. Verse 4. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, these people were believers, but they couldn't let go of their their old beliefs, they were still stuck in the old covenant even though they had begun to taste the new one. They rose up saying, and this is what they said, it is necessary to circumcise them and, everybody say and, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now it's really popular, maybe you've had a taste of it, but there's a wind of doctrine blowing through the land, it does every few years. This is why the book of Galatians and Acts 15 is in your Bible. And this wind of doctrine tells you if you really love the Lord, you'll keep the Torah. You'll keep the law of Moses. And you'll show them in the Bible where the old covenant has been abolished and the new one has come into existence. They'll say, yes, that's the covenant. It's been abolished. 
but not the law. God's law is eternal, so you have to keep the laws. Meanwhile, no one has ever kept all the laws. No one. Only Jesus. Go ahead and make a list of them. There's 613 of them, and good luck with keeping them. And you better include circumcision. As well as abstaining from intimacy with your spouse for a week, uh, for three weeks a month. This is part of the law. Bad news, right? It's more than just not eating pork chops anymore. It's, it's bad news. No one could keep it. Back to the wind of doctrine, sorry. They, they will try to discredit Acts 15, saying, well, it's just talking about circumcision. And they mention going to the synagogue, so in reality, they're supposed to go to synagogue, and that therefore they will eventually teach the law. Really? Paul and Barnabas went back to these cities where believers had been kicked out of the synagogue and appointed elders for them, fasted and laid hands on them, committed them to the Lord to become churches. They write letters to them to encourage them, and they're still supposed to go to synagogue and start keeping the law? That doesn't hold any water. Well, in reality, Acts 15 is just about circumcision. No, it's not. It says, and keep the law of Moses. That was the, the question. Verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. We covered this on another Sunday in Acts 10, where the first group of Gentiles became believers and were filled with the Spirit. It's in a community on the coast of the Mediterranean called Caesarea. So God, verse 8, who knows the heart and acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now listen to this, verse 10. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Now back to this wind of doctrine that's blowing through the land. If you've not come across it, it will come your way eventually. Just be prepared for it. It happens. Satan when he can't stop something, he tries to dilute it. And so he's trying to get the old covenant mixed in with the new covenant and discourage believers and make people confused and make them irrelevant to their unsaved neighbors. And so they'll say, well, uh, they were new believers and it wasn't right to require new believers to keep the law. But if they keep going to synagogue, then eventually they'll begin to keep the law. That's what we're supposed to do. Then if that's the case, why did Peter say, why do you test God? These were not baby Christians. This this mission trip was not just a two-week trip it took years to do this trip and they appointed elders men that taught them and they sent them letters we have them in the new testament so we're supposed to suddenly do the bait and switch thing well they'll keep going to synagogue then you'll keep the law they didn't say that those words are being spoken out here outside of scripture and being pushed there that's deception that's used car deception Speaking of used cars, you need to be really careful the next year or two in buying used cars, even new ones. Be careful because they may have watermarks somewhere. Anyway, back to the sermon. But we believe, verse 11, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And for another Sunday, we'll get into what they did. They penned a letter and made four requirements of these new believers that they abstain from idolatry. 
those apply to us today. What in your life is an idol that's not allowing you to obey God? Anything that becomes an obstruction in our life to doing the will of God and obeying him completely is an idol. Number two, abstain from sexual immorality. Sex outside, all sexual activity outside of a relationship between a husband and his wife or a wife and her husband, outside of that relationship is sexual immorality. It all fits in there. And it's forbidden for New Testament believers. And abstain from things strangled. Cruelty to animals is not God's will, and it was a way of killing uh, that was contrary to the law of Moses that would be highly offensive to Jews where they wouldn't even want to be in their, in their midst, so it had to do with their diet. And from blood, don't be drinking blood and, and stuff like that. Those four things. Plus, of course, the commands of Christ, which is the apostles' doctrine. Jesus told them to go and make disciples all, in all the world, baptize disciples, and teach them to observe everything he commanded. He gave about 70 commands. How do his commands relate to the law of Moses? He makes all those laws a matter of the heart. The law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, don't lust. The law says, thou shalt not kill. Jesus says, don't hate. The law says, keep the Sabbath. He says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is our Sabbath. It's that powerful. It's that awesome. Yes, but I want rules on a wall that I can obey. Well, you can wind up and become a Pharisee, and you know what a Pharisee is. It's somebody that knows all the loopholes. It doesn't work. Grace is what brought us this far, and grace is what will lead us on, and it's grace that we're not worthy of receiving from God. Therefore, he gives us grace to receive grace. Isn't that awesome? That's good news. All right. Today, we are going to continue the sermon. Last time I spoke, we spoke on the ABCs of world missions. Now, I'm speaking to us, assuming that we're mature, prepared, and sent by God. All of us are called to be involved in world missions. I'm not talking about money for, to missionaries and prayers. I'm not excluding that. But I'm talking about us getting our hands dirty and doing something for somebody other than ourselves and us four and no more, doing something to help continue the ministry of Jesus wherever we walk. Because where you live is the world, right? In the world. We live in the world, right? Is Granberry on this planet? And are we here for a purpose? Yes. The New Testament tells us we're ambassadors. An ambassador is a representative of a country in another country. We are the representatives of heaven on earth, right? We're earthlings, but we've received a new citizenship. And so we're here for a purpose of furthering the ministry of Jesus any way we know. It may be cookies to somebody that's hungry, blessing them, showing them the love of Christ, but ultimately it will often involve laying down your life, your comforts, your will. Christianity is not about your best life now. It's about your best life later and your life now to continue Christ's life now. That's what it's about. All right. So we just kind of use the alphabet to hit the points through the first part of Acts 14. Uh, if we're going to be world missionaries, we must always practice teamwork 
Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Right? We all need each other. Jesus sent his disciples out door to door, two by two. There's reasons for this. Don't want to uh, uh, neglect that. Begin with ministering the Jews. The gospel is to the Jew first. If you know any Jewish people, they believe things about Christians that are not true because counterfeit Christians have persecuted them for centuries by telling them, you guys killed Christ. They didn't kill Christ. Gentiles and Jews killed Christ 20 centuries ago, right? So if your great-great-grandfather robbed a bank and someone came on your door and accused you of robbing a bank, would that hold any water? No. So it's idiocy that pushes that. Stupidity to call Jews Christ killers. It's, it's stupid. I, I, I could cuss right now to express how dumb, they, how, how dumb can people get and still breathe? All right. Communicate the gospel persuasively. Uh, take a speech class so you lose your fear of talking. Some of us have no fear of talking, but sometimes the gospel gets lost in too many words. So learn to communicate persuasively. We all need speech classes. Uh, Don't be surprised by resistance. Everybody's not happy about Jesus because of things they believe that are not true. Enjoy inside information when threatened. Yeah, Jesus said this would happen. It's okay. I anticipate it. My inside information that causes me to enjoy things when things are tough is I'm eternal. My problems are not right? This too shall pass, but I'm not going to pass. I'm going to live on. At three o'clock today is a homegoing celebration, a funeral for Debbie Ellis's mother, who's gone on to meet the Lord. Bye-bye body, hello Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can I get an amen, somebody? Fear no one but the Lord. If we're going to be effective world missionaries, we got to deal with our fears and phobias instead of coddling them. Pursue healing. Get some help. Be honest with people you trust and say, hey, I I am scared of bridges. I need help. Get prayer. May we overcome all fears because one day the Lord may call you to cross a bridge to tell somebody about him. Give his message of grace to all, not legalism, grace to everybody. And we continued to hope and pray for more miracles. When the early church was threatened, what did they do? Lord, get us out of here. Did they have a rapture drill? Get us out of here. It's getting hot. No. Lord, give us more miracles. Stretch your hands to to heal. Use us mightily. Give us boldness. They ignored distracting detractors. Effective missionaries have to ignore distractions to be effective. And when abused, jump from that abuse to your next assignment. Don't go in a cave and live there for the rest of your life. Keep effective strategies going. If something has worked, it will work again. Well, it didn't last. Well, it lasted then, and it will last then. There's always the need to be relentless in world missions. Learn that many are susceptible to idolatry, starting with us. Anything that keeps us from obeying God and seeing the Great Commission fulfilled is an idol. And all idols must fall. Can I get another amen? And when God uses you mightily, make sure that he gets all the glory. And finally, never think you won't have any pain. We'll begin today's message with that point.
So today we're going to complete the alphabet, the XYZs of world missions. Now this is assuming we're mature, prepared, and sent by God to be effective for Him. Maybe you're a new believer, maybe you've got anger issues, maybe, maybe some addictions have the better hand of you. It's not time for you to leave America and go to the mission field. Going there doesn't mean your problem's going away, you know. When I left America, I left my problems behind. Nope, they came right with you, they're in your bags. But as we grow in Christ, God begins to use us mightily and effectively for His glory. So, to be an effective world missionary, we must never think we won't ever have any pain. Because the first church experienced great pain. In verse 19, Jews from Antioch and Iconium of Galatia came to where they were in Lystra and persuaded the multitudes. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city and supposing him to be dead. So they tried to kill him. How does this fit in with Jesus? Didn't he die for our sins? Didn't he suffer for us so we don't have to suffer? Really? Well, look at what he said in Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Look at the middle phrase. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The kingdom of heaven faces resistance. The kingdom of heaven experiences persecution. It's just a reality. In John 15, 20, he said, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Yes, he was our substitute. He died on the cross. We don't have to die for our sins. They're paid for. But he told us to take up our cross daily. And follow him. I took out my cross last week. Well, you take it up this week. And you take it up next week. You take it up the next week. Until the Lord calls you home, you will have opportunities to be nailed to the cross. And often it's those closest to you that hurt you the most. It's just the way it is. Well, I'm supposed to be crucified with Christ, but nobody can nail themselves to their own cross. Can they? Can't do it. Take somebody else. So the Lord, will, the Lord allows, for some reason, third parties to do this to communicate his love to people that are not worthy of love. He said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Tell somebody, will have. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We will overcome whatever we face. And the early church met threats and suffering with this attitude. In their prayers, they said, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to move to a safe place. No. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Where are miracles the great, greatest? They're the greatest out on the cutting edge where we have to have them. Optimize your ministry by bouncing back. I found this outside my office door this week. Thank you so much last week. Thank you so much. We bounce back. This is us. Like the song says, we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. So Paul got up after the group had gathered around him. You reckon they prayed for him? Maybe they did. And maybe this was the occasion he spoke of when he said he had tasted of heavenly things. Maybe he was 
enjoying life and had to come back. He went right back to where he came from. And then the next day he went to Derby and ministered there for a while, made disciples, and then went right back to Lystra to strengthen those people and stayed there long enough not only to strengthen them but raise up a leadership team. Back to uh, bouncing back. Daryl Evans wrote a song, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame, I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. He remembers that song. The bridge is, I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I am blessed beyond the curse, for his promise will endure, that his joy is going to be my strength. And though the sorrow may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. He didn't just make those words up. They actually come from the scriptures, from Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. We are made medicine for somebody else. Our life is made to serve the lives of others. So in dying to self, in dying to what I want, Laying down my will, his will is advanced. You got it? My little poem called Trouble's Got the Blues says this about us. Because we do bounce back. We do suffer, but we do bounce back. Uh, The stanza says, Holy people of the Holy Bible believe that all things work out for good. The threats of death they call great gain. Tricks ain't working out like they should. I've got trouble. Trouble's got the blues. I knock them down. This is trouble talking, but they don't stay down. They're learning to persevere. My success is becoming elusive. My defeat's becoming severe. Through prayer, they're even stronger. By faith, they're able to stand. Through pain, they're persistent longer. Sometimes I wonder who I am. Christians are getting way too old, benefiting from my abuse. I've got troubles. Trouble's got the blues. This thing they call salvation has ruined it all for me. It makes all my destruction become temporary. Trouble's got the blues. Knock us down, we don't stay down. We bounce back. Preach the word and make more disciples. It's all about making disciples. Who do you know that you're encouraging, that you meet with regularly? And who do you meet with regularly that encourages you? Find someone to encourage you. Be a father to someone and get someone to be a father in your life or mother, vice versa. Paul preached everywhere. He said he was never ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. It's that simple. If they believe, the life-changing power of Christ comes in and change begins to take place. Who is this for? To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I'm not Greek, but you're a Gentile. That's what he's implying there. 
If we're going to be effective world missionaries, we must quicken those who need encouragement. They preached the good news in that city, that is Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And later, Paul writes these guys a letter. And we have it in our Bible called the book of Galatians. Remind people of the whole truth. What is the whole truth? Well, he goes on and says, he reminded them that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is the big point today. To continue the ministry of Jesus is not always easy. But oh, how sweet it is when we taste the fruit. Amen? Paul, in his letter, his second letter to his disciple named Timothy, he said, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. It's all here in chapter 14 and chapter 13. Out of them all, can we say all, the Lord delivered me. Notice he did not say from them all, out of them all. Sometimes God does protect us from things, but often he takes us through things. We come through them and we come out of them. The Lord delivered him out of them all. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Somebody said, will. In his letter to the church in a community called Thessalonica, chapter 3, verse 2, he told them that he was sending them Timothy, their brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are, can we say are, appointed to this. Verse 4, he says, For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation. I don't expect to sell many tapes of this sermon if we still, still sold tapes. Because it's, you know, it's kind of disconcerting. It almost makes you think, I think I'll, I'll, think I'll, I think I'll take circumcision. Like, like, not make a deal. This is, this is, this is the life that's willing. Well, if I make a redneck voice, I'll alienate somebody else, so. Sorry. We're going to be effective world missionaries and we plan a church. They're going to need a leadership team if you're not going to stay with them for the rest of their life. Raise up leaders in their midst. Missionaries for years made mistakes of keeping the people dependent on them, trying to make Americans out of the natives. As a kid, I grew up in West Africa and to my horror as a kid, as a little boy, I saw the Americanization of the African church in the West African country where we were, of Liberia. Uh, in the music they played, they had them playing guitars and accordions and took their drums away because they used to worship Satan with those. Some of the most horrible music I've ever heard in my life. It's not that way anymore. There are uh, missionaries got some sense over the years. But just to show you the ridiculous uh, extremes that Americans went to to try to make Americans out of them is they taught them hymns 
that were not always relevant to their culture. One hymn's called The Royal Telephone. Has anybody heard of that? See, we've not even heard of that song. But we would understand the song. It goes like this. Telephone to glory, oh, what joy divine. We can feel the current moving on the line. Call to God the Father on his royal throne. You can speak to Jesus on this royal telephone. It's about prayer. Now, we think, okay, that's clever. These people had never seen a telephone. We're talking in the bush, three days walk from the nearest road, singing the royal telephone. They also sang a song that used baseball as an analogy to the Christian life. Life is like a ball game. Satan wants to strike you out. But Jesus is the umpire, and he will surely help you out. They had never played baseball. But they knew the song, and they loved Jesus. It was just these strange customs. What is it about our faith that really isn't Christianity? It's just Americanism. In fact, some things that Christians are really upset about right now has nothing to do with Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's just our American culture. It is. Now, to be a missionary in this culture, we need to observe the culture and not be culturally repulsive, but not get caught up in all the conflict that distracts us from our mission. So these guys selected leaders from the town. They didn't import them from somewhere else. They didn't have any to import. They couldn't put out a pulpit committee to search for a pastor. They selected leaders when they were ready. They appointed elders in every church. Now, this mission trip took several years, so these people were still new believers, but after an absence of the leaders, Paul and Barnabas from, from them for a while, even a, a year or more, they could come back and see who the leaders were and uh, keep in touch with them by way of letters to encourage them. They appointed elders in every church. This is the custom of the New Testament church to be overseen by elders. Another island, similar to Cyprus, but on the other side of the Mediterranean, miles from Cyprus, is a place called Crete. And there Paul sent a man named Titus to help establish the churches that were already there from the converts that had been made. He says, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then he gives a qualification for elders in these cities. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, nor greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound teaching, sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. All right, notice he uses the word elders and bishop interchangeably. Elders plural, bishop singular. Bishop means episkopos, episkopos. Epi is over or big, epic, big, episkopos, scope, to see. So an overseer is a, an elder. So an elder speaks of, of uh, maturity, and bishop speaks of the function. So you have the character, elder, and you have the function, bishop or overseer. So I believe every church needs to have Lots of men who are qualified to be elders. 
but it does not mean that they're going to be made bishops. Because you get too many bishops, then it becomes redundant. Um, I had the honor of being made uh, part of the eldership team or the bishop team at Shady Grove Church. There was 15 of us. It got to be too much, too hard on Pastor Olin. So then they got the revelation of they created a team out of the 15 of five guys, of which Olin was one, called the presiding elders or the presiding over elders. And things functioned much more smoothly, much better. The meetings were, not, were much shorter, and they were full-time. And so in reality, Shady Grove Church said they had 15 elders. In reality, they had five. But there were hundreds of men that had the character of elders in that church. Hundreds. Amazing. When this church started, every weekend was one of those guys speaking. I mean, 50 speakers in the course of a year coming down here on weekends until I became the pastor. And so in this church are many men that are elders in character, but currently we only have uh, two former overseers and three operating overseers. And it's a job just to communicate and keep, it, keep everybody abreast of everything that's going on. So, and in their cases, they were already eldering or bishoping or overseeing before they were made that. So sorry to go, go to such length with that, but it, it is in the text and I wanted to bring it up. Uh, another verse about these is, is uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, that chapter goes on and gives the qualifications of a deacon, which are similar. Why do we not have deacons? We really do. We just call them ministers. We translate, rather than transliterate, the word diakonos, just like we did with the word bishop and the word for elder. The word for elder is presbruteros, translated elder. Episcopos, translated bishop. Diakonos, translated minister. So we are all called to minister in some capacity. We are all called to, to oversee the corner where we are to be lights of Jesus. This is not to be an ingrown, inbred thing. You want to start a Bible study in your house? Talk to me, and I will encourage you to not do it until you get somebody to help you so you're not doing it by yourself, you don't get burned out, and to establish a time frame and a mission for you to do it and go for it. The church doesn't want to be a bottleneck for ministry. Some of you have a lot of responsibility at work. You're serving as an elder in the marketplace. That is awesome and worthy of being celebrated. And I want to hear about the good things God's, God's doing so we can let the congregation know as well. All right, back to the sermon. Trust God to use those appointed leaders. They prayed with fast and committed them to the Lord and left town. They didn't have control issues. When you delegate to somebody, once you're sure they're able to do it, let them go. Let them do it creatively. Let them, let them use their gifts. 
and understand the importance of home. If you are on a mission trip and that mission trip is over, you need to come home. Because the people that sent you want to hear about it. They want to know what's going on. So they came back and stayed home. Came home to Antioch and reported on what God had done. Value the practice of accountability. They reported all that God had done with them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So when we have missionaries stand up here and give a little slideshow or, or we read missionary letters or we missionaries send you emails, please don't roll your eyes and say, here we go again. This is protocol. This is the kingdom protocol to keep track of what one another is doing. They're over there by themselves. Obviously, they're not by themselves, but they're out of their culture. They're connected to us. We need to be interested in what they're doing because it's important, not just for the sake of money and prayer, but for the sake of accountability because if they're going off the rails and you can see it in their letter, you know, we circumcised 13 children last week. It's like, oh, I need to call that guy. He's getting into the wind of doctrine thing. That makes sense? Or I heard the pictures of the water baptisms he took that he sent us last month were actually uh, taken by, taken at another church. So I need to see if he's walking in integrity. So this is important for missionaries. And then, if you're going to be a world missionary, there is a place for rest. When they got home, they stayed there, and we say, a long time. Say long time. <laughs> they rested. And if you've got extra room, let God use your house by giving a missionary a place to stay and rest. It's awesome. Blessing to you, blessing to them. They'll get refueled to go back. Now establish the time period they're going to be at your house. You don't want to be in the kitchen whispering, when are they going to leave? That needs to be worked out before before you invite them. Exercise authority when necessary. When these Judaizers came to town, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. You are not going to mess with our babies. You're not going to mess with the congregations we planted. You guys need to go back home to Jerusalem where you came from and find some Jewish babies to circumcise. But You're going to leave our churches alone. Exercising their authority. But they also yielded to authority when necessary. It really was necessary to go back to the church where these guys came from. So they went back to submit themselves. This was scary to the apostles and elders because what would they say? These are the days before emails and airmail and walkie-talkies, radios, and telephones. Jesus started this church. Things exploded, got really big. How are things back where it began? Well, guess what? They had a grasp of God's grace too. Is that not awesome? Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, and he wants it the way he started it. And finally, zealously tell of all God is doing. So being sent on their way, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria walking 400 miles or riding their donkeys or whatever, or chariots, carriages, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, 
They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. We heard great reports from what God did here last weekend to the women's conference. Can we just give the volunteers a hand that helped pull that off? That's awesome. And we look forward to great reports we're going to hear coming out of the men's conference. That this isn't just for, for men who are believers, but men who are young believers and even men who are, who are unbelievers. What fruit is going to come? And we want to, we want to be able to tell. But the last few weeks, Susan Crawford has been out of town. You missed her. And uh, she was involved in helping relief workers down on the coast dealing with devastation from Hurricane Harvey. Susan, can you come on up? I am privileged to be part of the Women's League here in uh, Granbury of the Salvation Army, and we have our own rapid response vehicle. We were deployed. Myself, Deb Ellis, um, not Deb Ellis, I'm looking at you, uh, Deb C., Deb Cuellar, and uh, Linda Dowell, we went down to uh, service, I think, about five little towns where we were at. Our main purpose and main focus was to feed people. And at the beginning, I told somebody I was a little disappointed. I thought I was going to be, you know, mucking out stuff, doing something real and feeding people. And God convicted me about probably the second week. Uh, people came up to us and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have no stove. We have no refrigeration. Our electricity is out. Thank you for feeding us. We even had people come up to us, and, and they would ask for three. And I'd say, oh, do you have kids? Yes, three. And I'd say, well, why aren't you asking for five? Oh, well, we're not. Um, the adults didn't think they were worthy to eat. And we'd say, no, you'll have five. But each day we would go out and we would ask God for divine appointments. And um, I'm sorry, but um, God did. He, he was just really favorful with us. Uh, one time I prayed for a lady. She was just in great pain. And two days later, she came back and she said, God healed me the next day. I can't believe it. I got to go to work. And another woman, she was sobbing, sobbing as she was getting her food. She said, I'm a single mom with three kids and I just lost my job. And we prayed and prayed and asked God's favor. And two days later, we're going back around her neighborhood and totally different woman. She said, oh, my God, he put me back on the schedule. We're like, thank you, Jesus. Another woman came up and had an abscess tooth and we prayed for her and Again, I don't know what it is about two, but two days later she showed up and, and got it healed and taken away her abscess. And I think one of the sweetest ones we had was um, um, we traveled a bit, so I wanted to make sure people knew we were there. So we had our little sign, free hot food. And I take my little sign out on the sidewalk, and I'm, you know, kind of parading around with my free little sign. And we had freeway going past us. And we had this semi-huge truck come pull into our little parking lot. He wanted lunch. And so Deb C. took him something to eat. And as she gave it to him, he turned around and he just started sobbing. And he said, I have um, an addiction problem. He said, I'm a drug addict and I, I can't do it on my own. I really need help. Please pray for me. And so she grabs Linda and they just began to pray. And Deb said she just really felt the anointing. She just knew that God was going to work in his life. And then... Shortly thereafter, another semi pulls in, and this semi was full of stuff to be donated, and they wanted to find a place to where they could donate because the connection they had there in the little town, the guy didn't have a forklift. And so I was able to connect him to our center, which was in Victoria. But um, it was really sweet and that God was really honoring in, <laughs> I hate to confess this, but the three of us women on our were the oldest women there, <laughs> the whole group. 
and we're lifting um, 48, I had to lift 48 12-ounce bottles of Gatorade and put it on my truck, and I had to restock my truck two times a day. And um, I'm not a bodybuilder, but God did it for us. He gave us strength, supernatural strength. I'm not kidding you. We, are the, we were the oldest, but God gave us strength. God healed me of my migraines. I was having migraines because heat, I don't do well, I wilt. And God, I, after the second day, I said, pray for me. I just can't do this. Oh, God. And I'm crying. And I'm like, they prayed for me. And I didn't have another one. And I'm like, wow, God, you're good. So even in your own frailties, uh, God can answer. And one of the things I wanted, real quickly, I wanted to add that I'm probably one of those people when missionaries come, I'm going, no, no, I'm boycotting. I'm boycotting. Because they always minister about going out there and doing something and I'm thinking wait a minute I've got kids I've got a husband I doubt seriously if Stephen let me go to Romania to do a mission you know what I'm saying and I would just get real frustrated and I prayed and I'm just praying and praying and God opened this door for the Salvation Army and I'm just doing a, a shameless plug here but they are really awesome awesome group of people they did all of this for free they paid our hotel bill they paid our gas everything they did for free and it's an honorable if you want to know who to donate to, Salvation Army. Anyway, God opened this door for me to be able to minister. And I, I did go for two weeks and Stephen survived. But anyway, God is good. God is good. That was all good, Susan. There was a woman named Susanna Wesley who had ten children. Sometimes she would get so overwhelmed, she would sit in the corner and take her apron and throw it over her head just to be alone. But she gave one hour a week to each child, just her and that child, total attention. She raised some awesome kids. Their church still sings the songs written by one of them. The United Methodist Church and all Methodist churches were born out of the influence of another one of them who traveled more miles on horseback probably than any, and by ship probably than any minister. So don't feel shortchanged that you're not on the mission field because you're surrounded by children. You're raising world changers. Amen? Do your best. Another great report of what God is doing, I'm going to make it brief because we are running out of time. Had an awesome week last week. Wednesday was incredible. See you at the poll rallies on our middle school and high school campuses. I'll just talk about one of them. Granbury Middle School had 150 kids. And Amber led worship. The high school was huge. Of course, we know our, our youth were all in the middle of that. Then that night was an incredible rally. Over, over, conservatively speaking, but over 800 students were at Converge Rally to worship with a music team led by our own Chris. Incredible music, great music. I got to hear them practice in here. And hundreds responded to the altar call to do God's will with their lives. And so here's just a, a brief video report of that, kind of a music video. You get a picture that speaks a thousand words, they say. You'll get a taste of what God is doing in our community. Revive this city. Revive this state.
Christ's ministry continues when we view our world as our mission field. Your mission base is your house. We hope to be your recharging station. As you leave here, you're going to the mission field. But let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may you be an instrument of His peace everywhere you go. God bless you. World Missionary Tigers, go get them. <laughs>